Welcome to IndieWire's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon-Miller at Lizlet on the Twitters. I'm Ben Travers, Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And this week we are joined by a special guest. Say hello, special guest. Hi, special guest. Hey. I, I'm, already not, I'm already not following rules. Oh, I hate is, it. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a rebel. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a podcast guest rebel. <laughs> you uh, are. My name is Steve Green and I'm at Steve Brune on the Twitters. Yes, uh, Steve is joining us today uh, for what will be, sadly, our last podcast of the year. Uh, we're going to take a couple weeks off for the holiday, um, but or holidays, plural. There are many holidays. And so many holidays. Yes. So many. No, it doesn't work. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't know where you, you're you going. Got, you got like 75 percent of their way no, there, and just gonna, decided not gonna to keep going. Going to do a pun, but I backed off. But anyway, so uh, this week we're going to, so this week to kind of wrap things up for 2018, we're going to talk about the stuff we liked. And I think we're the, the very loose approach we're taking here is that we've all come up with a list of things that we just really enjoyed from the year. And it's not limited to TV. It's not limited to film. It's li- we're, the sky is the limit when it comes to the stuff we're going to talk about today. Um, and who knows how that's going to go, but I'm going to make Steve start. Well, yeah, that, that spawned this kind of... Um, you know, combination of, of mediums is the fact that, uh, or I'm sorry, it's not a fact, is the idea that, that 2018 was the year of content, uh, meaning that finally the lines have blurred as uh, I believe Kerry Fukunaga said uh, at IndieWire Honors, he talked about uh, in general how he doesn't really believe there's that much of a difference between TV and movies. And because of so many different examples, um, you know, un- unprecedented examples in 2018, uh, he really seems to be right. I mean, as we speak, Roma is trying to become, you know, a, a landmark Netflix Oscar winner. Uh, it already, you know, kind of stunned the world when it got a exclusive theatrical window, and that's something that Netflix had always said they were never going to do, um, even though they've kind of dabbled with it in the past. Uh, beyond that, we had uh, you know, a Black Mirror episode pose as a TV movie at the Emmys for the second consecutive year and win for the second consecutive year, which just spawned a rule change at the Academy, which redefined what a TV movie was under the parameters of now it has to be at least 75 minutes. Um, there's problems with that still. But uh, nevertheless, like people are trying to you know rein in what exactly means that it falls into this category or that category. When people, viewers, content absorbers are already just kind of looking at stuff like how can I watch it and how much investment do I have to put into it? They don't seem to care as much as like critics or voting bodies or award shows as to you know what designation you want to call it. Um, so much as it's like, how long is this thing going to be? Do I, is it, is it a movie? So I know I'm only going two hours as a TV show that I'm going to invest heat, like, you know, seasons of my life in, uh, is it a special, is it a limited series? Is it like all of these questions have to do with investment and, and what people can expect in terms of an ending or, um, you know, just the the amount of time they're going to spend on something. So, um, with all of that in mind, we're going to embrace the madness. And instead of trying ourselves to continue to separate these things, we're just going to look back on 2018 and say, these are the properties you may have missed. This is how you can watch them. Okay. Feel good there? I do. Good. Okay. Okay. So to start to kick things off, Steve, if you don't mind going first. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, I will make a, a callback to what I believe was my best thing that I watched uh, the last time I appeared on this podcast, and that is the documentary Minding the Gap. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, since then, uh, the movie has uh, – it's a, it's a documentary, I should say – uh, it's gained a lot of traction in the award season. Uh, it's appeared on a, a number of year-end critics lists. So uh, thankfully, I'm not in a position where I have to sort of advocate for it because a lot of people already have been. But I think for the purposes of this discussion, it's interesting to see Hulu really enter the, the documentary category. Uh, they've had original docs in the past that they've acquired and produced themselves. But this seems to be one of the, one of the first uh, really worthy uh, entries into the awards discussions. Um, I would also contend that I think it being on Hulu has really helped it play with the awards discussion because not only have I seen a number of critics cite the fact that they caught up with it because it was available on Hulu, um, but be- they've given it a pretty decent platform. I know I saw it on my homepage a number of times, and 
Um, again, like I, I think that that's something where it, it's they might have you know people might have even thought it was a Hulu documentary, a Hulu original, even though they acquired it out of Sundance, right? Mm-hmm, correct. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's really been a boost for for that film, and it, it should be interesting. I, I think Ann Thompson believes it's going to get the best doc nod at the Oscars, so which would uh, be incredible. And yeah. and I, I if we're talking about uh, content that, that may or may not have have surfaced for for different people. Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure that for a, a large chunk of the streaming world, people think of Hulu as a documentary destination, even though, like I said in the past, they have produced their own and acquired some really high-quality films. Uh, and so this hopefully is uh, a step in the direction of, not for the purposes of competition, I don't, I, I don't usually like to see right. Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu using documentaries as a lobbying chip to try and, and, and one-up each other. But I, I think it, it, it signals a a shift in the perception of, well, if you want to see docs, you just go to Netflix and then there's just the documentary section. I like that there are multiple avenues for people to discover high quality nonfiction filmmaking. Uh, and and this is this is probably my favorite film of the year and and one of the best filmmaking achievements of the year, considering what went into it, the personal nature of it, and the way that it really combines three stories in a really art artful way. And I think one of the nice things about it too, especially in, in what you're talking about in terms of people expanding their view on, on where they can find certain content, um, and I'm gonna, I'll get more into that in just a second with one of my picks, but um, we don't see you know documentaries get the t- type of spin, the type of publicity that a lot of other you know feature films do, but when it does come down to award season time, they get a, a unique push because the studios want those trophies and and they know that you know documentary is a competitive race they know that they you know if they acquire something they feel like they can win that way and very few very few spenders have as much money as the streaming services so um i feel like you know hulu and netflix and amazon and um you know a lot of these kind of like even hbo they they get behind these things uh in a a good way which again you know just broadens the conversation so um, to kind of bounce off Steve's pick, Go I've got a, a good pick, which I'll keep very short because I've talked about it a lot, but I still don't think that it's gotten the attention it deserves. Thankfully, Dan Feinberg, um, who watched it with me uh, at Sundance when it premiered, and we both you know, fell pretty hard in love with it. Uh, America to Me is a fantastic docuseries. Uh, it's another one that premiered at Sundance. It was always a docuseries. It was never going to be a movie. It's always meant to be watched in parts. It has very strong episodic structure. Um, but it comes from Steve James, who is a you know prominent filmmaker. He's done docuseries in the past. But it's also available on Stars, which is not a destination that a lot of people look to for documentaries, let alone documentary series. Um, they've had two pretty good ones this year, including The Warriors of Liberty City. But... Um, America to me is the one you have to emphasize and uh, just consider this my final, you know, best thing on TV pitch uh, for the show because, you know, if you haven't been able to watch it, please make the time. Um, I've heard a lot of varied response in terms of um, just, you know, uh, everyday viewers who've, who've caught it. Um, and I, I would just encourage you to at least give it a couple of episodes to let it, let these characters sink in because, um, they, I, they're just really wonderful to track, and, and you know the, the broader points will resonate, but the people are a, are a great hook. So um, that's the first one I'd throw out there. And, Le, and, uh, and, and yeah. as a fun, a fun, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I do believe I was sitting next to Dan Feinberg when I saw Mining the Gap at Sundance. Oh. So, so if you're going to be in great. Park City uh, it, this upcoming <laughs> January, make sure you sit next to him uh, because what you watch will inevitably become your favorite thing of the year. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think... Um, I think he was one of the only TV critics, at least I think he was the only one who ran a review of Wild Wild Country when it was at Sundance. And Wild Wild Country is one that, you know, obviously won the Emmy for Best Documentary Series, but it ended up on Owen Gleiberman's Best of the Year for Film. It ended up <laughs> in his top ten for movies. Oh, my and God. I, I didn't read his explanation for it because I uh, I didn't. Let's say that. Um, but just the fact that it made it over to that side of things and, and created this whole discussion again is a pretty significant thing. So just, yeah, track Dan. Dan seems like he's got pretty good taste. So um, Liz, also someone with excellent taste. What's your first pick? Oh, that's not true. Um, but so I'm going to I'm gonna keep us in the realm of essentially quasi-documentary uh, style programming, but I'm taking us to a little place called YouTube uh, where a 
woman named Lindsay Ellis has been producing these really great, for years now, she's been producing really interesting video essays that serve as critiques of various pop culture phenomena. And she has a, re she's very funny. She has a really good, great, like, she's got a really well-honed style. And she has a really smart perspective on a lot of different things, um, including she, I'm looking at her, the videos she did over the last year, which are definitely worth talking about, are um, she did, wrote, did a major apology to Stephanie Meyer, um, the author of the Twilight books. She did, I think was probably like the best thing she did all, all year long, which was uh, she did a three-part series about The Hobbit. And um, she actually went to New Zealand to explore the sets and talk to locals from the area, because one of the one of the best things she pulls, you know, you know, uncovers in this whole video, in this in this video series, is the fact that um, basically the Hobbit kind of screwed over local New Zealand production. Um, it all the all the you know infrastructure that had been built up thanks to uh, the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, like something things went wrong in a way where it's no longer as thriving as it used to be hmm. um it's like a, a lot of tax credit stuff it's very complicated but she explains it in a pretty clear way yeah don't be mean to new zealand they're so nice yeah exactly uh yeah so she's just a really she's like got her very specific interest she's very interested in disney she's very interested in transformers she's very interested in the hobbit and uh the lord of the rings uh, saga but you know in general but she also like has done essays about you know product placement and uh, the you know like the there's a video she did recently called manufacturing authenticity on YouTube, and it's just it's really worth checking her her stuff out. I it's one like her, a new video from her is always a real treat. And those are only available on YouTube, right? Yes, but okay. no, just YouTube. It's just she's just a YouTuber. That's yeah, they're only available on YouTube. I thought you said YouTube Red. And oh no, they don't even YouTube Red's gone now, right? It's YouTube yeah. Premium. It's YouTube now. Premium, from the, even then it doesn't really. It's there phasing it out or doing something new with it but yeah so uh that's my pick uh go keep keeping keeping this going around uh steve what's got what's on your list sure uh it, it falls into a bigger category i like to call friday night hbo Mm -hmm. uh, uh, which I, a lot of people, when they think of HBO shows, tend to think of of the the Sunday night prestige stuff, the yeah. the, uh, the 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 headline dramas and comedies that that get a lot of awards attention and a lot of critical attention. Um, but one series in particular from this year that I really really enjoyed is called Wyatt Snack's Problem Areas. Um, uh, Wyatt Snack, who you may remember from The Daily Show, uh, a very funny comedian in his own right, uh, and and obviously the uh, comedians helping to explain how the world works subgenre has has grown a lot in the last few years uh, as well. But I think there's something that this show does in approaching uh, the, the each of the ten episodes in the first season in their own way deal with uh, issues related to law enforcement and policing in different communities. Uh, that's that's the thread that goes through the whole series. But each individual episode also, takes a unconventional look at some some other topics too that, that maybe aren't front of mind, maybe aren't uh, national headlines, but still are topics that, that people are trying to approach solutions in unconventional ways. And that lines up really well to, to bring in a, a comics uh, sensibilities to a lot of really talented writers on that show, uh, people who have who have worked uh, in in other comedy shows that you've probably seen or or have listened to before? So, uh, White Snacks Problem Areas. That's 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 my pick. And then also, in that Friday night HBO genre, you have Random Acts of Flyness. You have uh, Room One Hundred and Four. Um, a, a lot of really interesting things being done on a night where people may not necessarily be watching television, but if, if the conversation we're having is on content that's available. Right. It's it's sitting right there on HBO Go. Yeah, a I, lot of that is it's designed almost to not necessarily be watched the night it premieres as it's premiering, but to just be you know it's available and you will watch it when you subscribe to HBO. Well, yeah, and but one program also from that same category is uh, High Maintenance, and that that aired on uh, Fridays. But this year in, in twenty nineteen, when it comes back, it's moving to Sundays. Uh, but High Maintenance, I think, is another great. Uh, uh, that's another show like. If I'd been able to get it on our t uh, on a top ten list of some sort, I would. I you know it got. I, I think I dropped it off just because there were too many shows. But <clears throat> yeah, High Maintenance is such a beautiful show, and it falls. It also is just it. It has 
just enough of a spark of weirdness to make it work on Friday nights, but I feel like it will also play well on Sunday nights. Uh, if only because of camping can go on Sunday nights and high maintenance can go on Sunday nights. Yes. Love, love you, Jennifer. <laughs> love you, David. Sure. <laughs> We're being nice to David Tennant on this podcast. If there's one rule on this podcast is we are nice to David Tennant. Uh, Steve, Wyatt Sinek got renewed, right? I believe so. Okay. I think I he hope got so. picked up for season two. I, I, I will. Because uh, Random I, Acts did not. Random Acts is over. It's it's over. I think so. Well, because that's because Terrence Nance is yeah. doing Space Jam too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. which I mean I'm 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 incredibly interested to see what oh, yeah. uh, how much of his sensibilities get into a giant studio blockbuster about basketball starring LeBron James. Yeah. Yep, that's uh, going to be quite a... I want the behind-the-scenes story of, of this thing being made, like the uncensored documentary, as much as I want the movie. Well, Ryan Coogler's there to kind of like help muscle muscle his, muscle his for his vision. Who yeah. knows? Um, Wyatt, Wyatt's next uh, problem areas was, in fact, renewed for season two. Yeah. Excellent. Great. Excellent. Looking news. forward to more. Um, well, speaking of something that uh, we don't know or has not officially been renewed yet, uh, and another one that I've talked about probably, well, not too often, obviously, on this podcast, but before, um, I'm going to link, as I did my article, uh, the first Hulu's excellent space drama, which doesn't actually go to space in season one, um, with uh, another fantastic space drama on the film side called First Man, um, both of which were you know, pretty big productions in terms of, of what they aim to do both creatively and culturally when they started out. They were, I mean, you know, the first is it stars Sean Penn. Uh, it's from Bo Willimon, who had created House of Cards and has done well on the film side writing screenplays, let alone as a playwright. Um, and, you know, it, it spent some money. Like, there's some future tech in there. It's eight episodes long. They're hour-long episodes. Uh, there's, uh, It's a beautiful show. They brought in some excellent directors. Um, and this guy who's won an Oscar stars in it. There's, yep, yep, Sean Penn. Um, so it, it, it had a lot of, you know, high expectations going in, and he has one too, yeah, Steve. Um, and, uh, you know, that, so it, it, it's hard to say exactly what happened with that without any hard data from Hulu. We don't know how many people watched it. We don't know if people watched it and stopped watching it. We don't know if people just, um, you know had let it slip by because it was released all at once and it got lost in the shuffle of a, a very busy September. We don't know. Um, and we don't know if it's over, if it's going to continue, but it definitely needs a little bit more buzz than it's gotten. So First Man had, had had a flag controversy, which was, you know, completely ludicrous and, and mm-hmm. made of nothing and based on some pretty questionable reporting, honestly. Um, but the the real problem was was that it was it seemed to be billed as a story that people weren't ready to sign up for like this is a movie that that dwells in death in a very serious way uh and that it all kind of revolves around uh Neil Armstrong's loss of his daughter and how he reacts to that by pushing himself further and further into his work which requires him to be further and further like well more and more dangerous with what he's deciding to do and it reaches a point where you know his mission to the moon isn't so much like some sort of heroic act of, of patriotism or something for the greater good, but it's a man who's willing to die because he just doesn't want to feel sad anymore. And that's a pretty hard thing to sell to a mainstream audience, especially when they go in expecting something like Gravity or Apollo 13 or the right stuff. Um, Spoiler and, alert from First Man. <laughs> sure. Um, and, and, well, again, I think it's important that people understand what they're getting into before they decide to do it. Like, it's it's... It's not a popcorn movie. And uh, I, I think the first is very much the same way, just that people were prepared for a Mars show. Like, they wanted to see Sean Penn on Mars, and that is not what the first season's about. We're obviously going to get there if they continued the show. But, uh, again, I think those things kind of just hampered this initial takeoff. And considering most of the conversations I have around town, whenever I bring up the first, people have no idea what I'm talking about. They have. N- it's not like one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. It's like I don't. I have never heard of that show, including, like, people who are programming against it. They are unaware that it ever existed. Um, I feel the need to remind people to give that a chance yet again because in terms of it being just an original, exciting drama series, it's pretty unparalleled. Like, there's not a lot that's going to compare to 
what this story tries to do that came out this year. Uh, so that alone makes it worth checking out in addition to the outstanding performances a great ensemble and some wonderful writing. So um, those are two that I would, I, would, I would like more people to see. I have a, I have a posit a question rather regarding the first. And I, I think this is someone who also really liked the show. Do we think it would have done better in the public estimation and or, you know, critically and or whatever if it hadn't starred Sean Penn and it starred another actor who technically would be on his level? Like, say, I'm, I'm, I, this is like the first name that came to mind. Actually, I was going to say George Clooney, but actually I like the idea of Edward Norton better. Um, like, but anyways, I think because I think there was a definite reluctance to, I think the biggest thing was like they didn't put, they didn't make Sean Penn go out there and sell the show. and Well, you can't make Sean Penn do anything. <laughs> exactly. And not only can you not make him do it, but you also don't kind of want to do it because that oh, no. it really opens it up. Oh, no, yeah. No, yeah. Not, not at all. Not right now. And so if you had had someone like, say, a, a George Clooney or Edward Norton, neither of whom. Or even like a Jeff Daniels or something. Like, like, like well, he, he, he would be reluctant to do it. He's, he's not necessarily, you know. Also, how well did that work out for Looming Tower? People um, knew the Looming Tower. Like it, it was yeah. in awards conversations, and it did get nominations for things. It just, you know, yeah. didn't quite. Hit he he, he would at least go do Colbert. Like and, and no, and Daniels is pretty happy to do press. Like yeah. he's not like a he's not you know that's not his purpose or anything. Right. I I would say that you're definitely on the right track, in that there's a problem with Penn. I think Clooney obviously would would make it work out. I don't think Norton would have helped the show at all because honestly, I think he's he's not as problematic as Penn, but he's just as press averse and uninterested in doing that stuff. I think well he's he is he is if he doesn't care about the project. I feel like he actually is someone where if he actually is really invested in it, I mean, he'd want to rewrite the scripts is probably the problem. And that's why why you don't cast him. But Well we'll get a really good test case when Catch Twenty Two comes out next year to see if that if if that really was the difference. Because I I I can't imagine that that project is even though it's based on a very well known piece of American literature it's it's not necessarily a an inherent thing that's going to right. be easy to sell, and so that'll be a good hypothesis to see if having someone like Clooney there to help kind of usher it through, if that makes a difference. And the only other thing I'd note, and this is kind of connected to like if it was a Norton pitch, is that one of the problems with Penn, um, one of one of the pluses with Penn is that he hadn't done it. It's not something you see Sean Penn do. So the idea of Sean Penn doing that, even if there's not a ton of youthful Sean Penn fans out there, a lot of Older audience members who you know they hoped would try the show would be like, "Holy shit, Sean Penn's doing something! That's that's a big deal. It should have been a big deal." And um, part of the people who probably did watch because they at least recognized Sean Penn's name or they at least wanted to watch Mars Show, whatever, um, they might have been kind of surprised and turned off once he vanished about midway through the first season. And it's not like he just left the show. It's not like it's a, a head fake where. You know, you, you think he's going to be in it and he's just completely gone. It's that it's an ensemble story, and a lot of the middle episodes focus on other people. So, like, if they would have put Clooney forward like that, people might have been upset that it wasn't just the George Clooney show either. So yeah. but there's the, problems that and, – and it's not a problem because the story is so good. It's the best thing they could have done for the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, again, in terms of what audiences are expecting, it might be a – well, actually, uh, this goes back to Catch-22 because Clooney's role is not going to be a huge one in that. And he deliberately switched position, uh, switched parts, in fact, because he wanted to be focused more on directing and less on acting. Yeah, but Kyle Chandler's in it, so it's going to do fine. Like, Yeah, because nothing tra- Kyle Chandler has been in has ever struggled to make a dent. Poor first man. Uh, okay. I'm going to take my turn now. Um, and I'm just going to throw this out there. As, as much as it was kind of a goof to, you know, it, it was, as much as it became, like, a kind of a joke, I really still feel like the Star is Born trailer is, like, one of the best short films of 2018. Um, I don't know why. I just know that I think it's just a really clean, perfect synthesis of music and editing and acting. And, like, you really get a lot of it, – it's so joyful, and for, for a movie that ended up being, like, really less so than that, uh, I thought that that was, uh, I thought, I mean, it, I, I also, I mean, I also, I'm a, I'm a 
person who loves a good meme. I love a good uh, a parody and whatnot. But I thought all of the, I thought not only was the trailer itself just really flat out great. Like I've I've caught myself rewatching it more than once, uh, just like casually. But also I think it lived up to it, it. Also like generated a lot of really fun content beyond it. Uh, do you think that the memes for A Star Is Born were better, or do you think the memes surrounding the young Pope were better? Well, young Pope was 2017. I'm not saying it for oh. this year. Okay. <laughs> I mean, in terms of like something that's breaking the internet and catching sensation culturally, uh, okay. it's hard for me to imagine something like the young Pope. Because, I mean, it's, A Star Is Born is very serious, and the young Pope is very serious, and a lot of the memes were funny. Is, is the effect of a meme, effectiveness of a meme connected to the artistic quality of the work that it's sampling from because that Steve, will affect I don't want to hear it. That will affect the answer to my question. <laughs> We're talking here. about memes right now. I would say well I think actually it was it's it, it's interesting because I think honestly uh, the young pope generated a lot of great memes in the form of gifs and images but a star is born I think would I would I would place above it in whatever ranking we're talking about because not only did *A Star Is Born* generate some really strong like uh, really really strong visual gags like the you know I don't want to take another look at you um, uh, re- re- reprisal, um, but also you had um, but also like you had like a video component like there were a lot of video elements and I don't think we saw that as much with *The Young Pope*. I think it was much more GIF oriented. Fair. Um, so that's my. That's my answer. Steve, what's next for you? Uh, well, since Ben brought up the first, uh, that's going to make a nice segue to my pick, which is not necessarily a visual thing, but it is does have to do with music. Uh, I think this was a fantastic year for scores for television shows, which is not a topic that we end up really talking about that much. It's a lot easier to talk about film scores because it is kind of a, a more complete work with more recognizable themes. But... There were a lot of shows this year that really benefited from a really strong musical element, including the first. Colin Stetson's score is one of the most beautiful things you'll hear all year. Yeah. Uh, and I have a, just uh, an incomplete list here of, of music that I really like from TV shows. Um, Nico Muley's score for Howard's End is mm-hmm. gorgeous. And, and again, another reason why I think that show works so well. My uh, boy Jeff Russo uh, having a really strong year with not just Star Trek Discovery, uh, but Legion and Counterpart as well, to, uh, shows that also really benefit from atmosphere that music can provide. Um, the late Marcus Fjellstrom, uh, uh, they used his music for the terror. Um, again, experimental, atmospheric, not something that you'd usually see or hear on, on TV, but something that worked really well and, and helped make the greatest TV show of 2018. <laughs> um, Nicholas Bertel for Succession, who, like, his yeah. score for Beale Street is also oh, yeah. Yeah. lush yeah. and gorgeous. Um, uh, Ronit Kirkman, uh, who has done both seasons of The Sinner now, uh, she's really added a lot to the atmosphere of, the, of that show. Uh, Matt Quayle has worked on b- worked on both Ryan Murphy shows this year, uh, Versace and Pose. Um, Chris Bowers uh, on Dear White People, beautiful jazz inspired uh, score oh, with yeah. a lot of great piano and 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 just uh, again really setting you in that world right away with the sort of listening components. And then two shows that really approached music in a really experimental way. Uh, one Homecoming um, sampling from Everything from 70s paranoid thrillers to uh, Ennio Morricone stuff to uh, Vangelis stuff. Uh, this was the year that everyone found out that they loved Vangelis. Uh, maybe that's just me. Um, and then Sharp Objects, which uh, usually you have a, a, a soundtrack uh, that that uses uh, an extended clip of a song and then moves on to the next thing, the way that Jean-Marc Vallée used uh, and, and along with um, the uh, the music supervision team for that show were able to use snippets of songs in a in a real abstract way that I think helped make it a really eerie watching experience. He was very proud when, when I interviewed Jean Marc Vallée. He was very very proud of the fact that it was one hundred percent needle drops. Yeah, that he yeah. never used any original score. Yeah, and and one last salute to Casual, which had the best soundtrack of any show on TV. Yeah, and I think I think honestly, you could just talk about uh, casual Howard's End and uh, Dear White People in the same kind of just remember these exist, don't forget these things. These were some of the best things that happened this year, um, and they kind of fell into a lot of different groupings or just kind of didn't quite blow up to the level that they deserve. Um, 
And uh, it's probably also a good time. We should have mentioned this off the bat when we introduced Steve. Like, but Steve, you are just a you are just the king of content. Like you you watch and listen and read everything and and blend them together in such a, a perfect way. You might just be like the living embodiment of what we talk about when we talk about content as opposed to movies and TV and podcasts and uh, and music and all like it just it smashes together and uh, you know. I, I have become V'ger is that, is that, is that <laughs> what you're saying oh I love, yeah, love a good V'ger joke yep pretty yep much. yep not enough of them these days yeah, and that was, uh, but thank you for saying that Ben well it's a very I mean that along with your podcast list is, is a very good uh, you know example of, of just how you know those those so many different ideas come together uh, to serve the purpose of just like hey these are things you need to be paying attention to so um Continuing that, uh, in ter- especially in, in the, with the idea that nobody seems to know what this is, um, by the time this comes out, uh, a little thing that, that might get some publicity has debuted on Netflix called Springsteen on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure that a number of our listeners have already actually seen the real Springsteen on Broadway, <laughs> like gone to the live show. Um, which that's, a, that's, a, that's a bit of a leap. I don't know how many of our listeners are New York-based Broadway nerds. Uh, you definitely don't have to be a Broadway nerd, and you definitely don't have to be New York based to have gotten to that show. Um, I'm just saying, I feel like I feel like you're. I don't know. I I, I don't mean to nitpick. Keep going. Great. Um, so the the idea here is is fairly simple. Like Netflix picked one of his shows and recorded it, and they're putting it up on their platform. Um, but the the idea of Springsteen on Broadway, you know, can unless you've already studied and researched and kind of figured out what the show is, can evoke a lot of different ideas. You're like, is this just a, a like a kind of an intimate concert, like when he went on his Devils and Dust tour, or Ghost of Tom Joad, or anytime he doesn't, you know, go around with the E Street Band? Um, is it something that's that's more of a like a musical? Did he try to tell like a story through his songs and just like? run the table with it and it's kind of all of it but it's surprising how little music there is there's a lot of dis- of conversation there's a lot of of monologuing from Springsteen and he wrote this himself like he wrote this program out and he performs it and they gave him you know a special Tony award for this kind of unique accomplishment that he's managed to put out into the world and the great thing about what the Netflix presentation does is it brings it into your home to provide that very intimate experience that you want to have and that he tries to have with the audience, you know, who's who was in the room at that time. Um, but what's really interesting about it is just kind of how worked up he gets and what kind of performance he puts on because as you're watching him at the start of it, you know, he kind of, he, he flat out says he doesn't like doing this. He, he, he leads in with this kind of um, confessional jokey spiel about how you know a lot of his a lot of his career has been a lie and it's it's all a trick in that you know he writes all these songs about you know the working man and factory uh, factories and and he's never been in a factory and he's never had a a nine-to-five job he's never worked five days a week until he's did this show and he said he flat out hates doing the show he does not like working five days a week um so he's he's almost distancing himself from what's happening early on. And then as he kind of tells the story of his life and goes through a lot of his emotions and um, reactions to you know, various events as well as kind of his opinions on things, um, he gets into it to the point where, I mean, there, he, he, there's, he cries. Like there's, there's some really intense um, stuff here and the way that it's captured um, by the director whose name I can't remember uh, is immaculate. Tom, Tom Nimney? That sounds right. Yeah. I got it. He he builds this on a lot of slow zooms and slow draws. Like he goes in and he comes out and it's not necessarily choreographed to specific beats, like as soon as it reaches a point and stops, Springsteen says something that, you know, the story's been building to whatever. Sometimes it works out that way, it is planned that way, but sometimes it's just drawing you in like in a very specific way and it's a beautiful shoot like the production was obviously simple but it's gorgeous and um 
I just wanted to, to, to talk about it. I know we already have a review up for it, but I just wanted to talk about it again because I, I just feel like as somebody who's very who's a very big fan of Springsteen and read a lot about the Broadway show, I wasn't prepared for what it was. And I don't think people who kind of stumble across it on Netflix or just hear it in conversation are ready either. A question for you. I know you did see this in a theater. Yeah. Do you think that uh, that made a big difference to your response to that? Or would you have had the same experience sitting on a couch? Um, the only thing that I think the theater adds to it, um, because it, it it had it had good sound, but it, it didn't seem to be like particularly outstanding uh, audio compared to what might have just been in my very average home. Um, is is the idea that I always talk about in that it encourages you to put your phone away, <laughs> like it encourages you to, to not have distractions and not distract yourself, uh, which I always think lends to absorbing a performance in, a, in a, an event. But um, other than that, no, because um, it was a rather small theater. It was. It was Tight. Um, yeah, I was. I, there was only, but there was only four of us in there. Um, I sat right next to our colleague Ann Thompson, which was fun. Uh, she has some some great reactions to Springsteen, which I <laughs> will remember for a while. But um, but yeah, so it it felt it didn't feel like it didn't feel very theatrical to me um, in terms of what I went through. But that is a great question, and I would. I mean, if they decided to put it into like a special screening somewhere or whatever like by all means but uh i do think you'll you'll get a lot out of it even i mean i hate it but even if you watch it on your phone so um do you want to hear uh the directing producing credits sure uh spring scene is, is from variety spring scene is writer director and producer of the spring scene of broadway film along with uh his manager uh john landau Tom Zinni, uh, well-spotted Steve. Uh, Springsteen tour director uh, George Travis and Landau Management's Barbara Carr. So some of those are probably just producers, but Springsteen is credited as a director. Well, he's he's credited as the director of the Broadway production, right. who actually directs, it's Tom who actually directs the, the Netflix thing, which is... Um, and who also directed the uh, the E Street Band concert yeah. from... Live, live in New York 2001. Yes. Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's some good Springsteen, like this is not a Springsteen concert doc, like that's kind of the first and foremost thing you should realize, but I mean, there are some great ones out there. Um, there's some bad ones too, but, um, but yeah, so I, I think that one's going to get plenty of a push and people will be aware of it, but I think again, kind of with other memories I've recently just talked about in mind, uh, it's important to frame stuff so people really know what they're getting into and why it's so appealing. But that's my pick. Mm-hmm. Liz, do you have an additional choice? Yeah, well, I mean, I feel like we've we're, we've been talking a fair amount. Like, do we have a, one more round in us each, or do we want... I've got a couple more rounds. Yep. Uh, but I can do them rapid fire if... Yeah. if, 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 if it's uh, probably good. If, okay. If you'd prefer. Um, well, in terms of... Like, or I could just cheat and make it my best day next thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, in terms of content that I consumed in 2018, um, I'm going to talk about the X-Files. and But I'm going to be very specific about what? how... I know, shockingly. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, thing about, the, thing, the thing about... The reason I want to bring up the X-Files in the context of this discussion is I feel like this is a show... I feel like this, this, this season 11 that we had... Um, is a season of television that should not be remembered fondly, that is a bad season of television that ends in particular quite badly. Um, but that being said, it did provide me with at least two or three real moments of joy. And uh, so I'm not even gonna go into details. I just wanted to say there were, if I cut the, if I if I did a compilation of everything in the X-Files season 11 that gave me joy, it'd probably be about, Probably about forty minutes of content in total. That's probably and that's including a lot of the sushi robot episode. Um, but that forty minutes was 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 it worth everything else that came with it? I don't know. But the point is that those forty minutes of video exist in the world, and I can find some way of watching them. We've been doing a bad job of saying where you can watch this stuff, uh, which is unfortunate. Debatable. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I've said it for every single thing. Okay. Did it, we skip? I mean, Steve. You can listen music. to a lot of those scores on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. Yeah, that might have been the one we missed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Stars Born trailers on YouTube. Um, so yeah. Point is, I think I mean I believe the X Files is still on Hulu for the time being, so I can go back and I can watch clips that way. And I'm very used to watching the X Files. Uh, you know, skimming through parts of it that are uninteresting to me or bad. And so I'm glad to have. 
I'm glad I, I, I'm looking on the bright side of the fact that season 11 exists. Hmm. So, Steve, uh, what's your next one? Uh, not that this needs any reminder to people that it exists, uh, but I, I have to give credit to uh, The Ringer did their list of the best sports moments of the year. Uh, and I was shocked at how much joy I got watching all of the buzzer beaters and walk-offs and you know, last-minute shots, scores, you name it. Uh, just want to put in a plug for just going and finding compilations of walk-off home runs or buzzer-beating shots, particularly ones in the uh, men's college basketball tournament or women's college basketball tournament. Um, just th those... It, it, even if you're not a sports fan, just the sight of watching a, a sports venue go from everyone on edge to hands raised in excitement, there is no feeling like that in the world. And even if it's clips from 30, 40 years ago, uh, there is still something so palpable about watching thousands of people go from nervous to excited in like that. Um, so what I'm saying is watch the Max Muncy walk off from, mm -hmm. from this World Series. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's actually, that's a great pick. Uh, related to that, I will say that um, as much as I hate the NFL as an organization, as much as I've been struggling to can keep up with uh, being a Bears fan as I have my, most of my life this year, even though they're very good or at least can fake it pretty well, um, the NFL does a great job of putting together highlight reels. Yes. Um, individual game highlight reels show up the next day, and they're like, I mean, some of them are like 15 or 20 minutes long. You which, watch the whole game. Which, yeah, which sounds kind of long for just a highlights reel, especially as we've grown accustomed to them over the years. Um, but if you miss the game, which I have most of them because I'm not traveling anymore to find bars to watch them, and you know, um, it's an incredible service to the point where I've become frustrated when, like, you know, the NBA doesn't have similar offerings or they don't cut together. They don't cut them together well so you can see how something happens. Yeah. Because seeing how, you know, the game ended up, how it did, is so important to enjoying it and appreciating, you know, your team and understanding, you know, what's going right and what's going wrong. And the easier they make that for people to watch and absorb – I think the more it makes people want to watch them live, which is the, the goal in and of itself, and the moments that you're referring to, even the 30- and 40-year-old ones, you know, that, that's something that's just a reminder of how good it is to experience it in the moment, too. So, um, yeah, that's that's a great pick, yeah. Stephen. So that's, um, For the record, baseball does it. That They've gotten yeah, really better yeah. at doing that, too. Yes. So. Yeah, they've, and baseball, honestly, has one of the better um, Platform. digital yeah, well, everything. <laughs> everything you watch on most of the stuff you watch on streaming now is because of Major League Baseball's advanced video efforts that's, in yeah. the early 2000s. And that's so. yeah, that's almost like a whole other conversation. Yeah, like just <laughs> debt that we owe to them as, yeah. as you know, instead of just contrasting what they offer to their fans as opposed to the other leagues. But um, all right, the last thing I'll I'll wrap up with is just a, a general reminder of some of the stuff that kind of fell by the wayside, which. Um, I think Mr. In-Between was a great FX show. It's another one that I saw at Sundance. I know Steve is not a fan, but um, it's short. It's ha it's a half-hour drama, um, kind of a black comedy, but more of a more of a thriller, more of an action movie. Um, it's um, it was Australian-based. It's got you know a bunch of people you've never seen before who do pretty great work. Um, there's a lot. It's, it's not Barry, but there's a lot to it that'll draw you in if you liked Barry. Um, and it's something available on FX. Uh, you can also just fly to Australia and watch it there, where it was shot, where it originally premiered. Um, uh, I know FX is, is hoping someday soon they'll be streaming somewhere, but you know, if you can find it, watch it. It's, it's very good. Um, another one that's coming back around very soon in January, which will have its own discussion, hopefully revitalized, is Showtime's The Shy. Uh, I think The Shy is a, a very strong drama from Lena Waithe. I think it's only going to get better in season two, um, so make sure you're caught up in time for that. And um, finally, just because everybody said it and nobody's listening, uh, go see Widows. Like, Liz has put it out there. Liz loves Widows. She had a great theater experience with Widows. Like One of my best theater experiences of quite some time. Like, people yeah, were losing go their it. goddamn minds. Come on, guys. So, like, you want that. That's what it's you a go fun, to the movies It's a for. crowd pleaser. So check it out. Yeah. Um, as for me, uh, I'm going to... Uh, Legends of Tomorrow brought me more joy than anything else this, this year. Um, as I've mentioned before, Bebo loves me, and I love Bebo, and everything's going to be okay. Be Bebo is, like, 
floating somewhere between gritty and puka and like naughty puka and in like the general scheme of like mascotty looking animals but he's adorable and he wants to be my friend he's also terrifying like i think gritty is like Phoebo is way less terrifying than gritty i don't think so i think like and this is why i think it's fascinating to have this discussion about mascots and creatures and like kind of animals that are clearly like i haven't read your piece about into the dark yet have you did you make fun of bebo in it no i didn't touch on bebo but i think that he's like a good example of where i'm very much in the minority like i think gritty's i can see how gritty is terrifying i can see how gritty is cute i can see how puka is terrifying i can see how puka is cute but i only see terrifying when i see bebo and i know that that is not the common response so i think there's just certain triggers that are set up by these designs that's interesting to watch you know, get absorbed by the culture. Is it because he is it because he, he talks? No, because they all talk. Puka me, puka you. What? <laughs> um, Puka's scary. <laughs> but like that's the thing. Like I'm very glad that Bebo brings so many people so much joy. I am just I am. At, it's like clowns. Like I'm scared. Hmm. Oh. I mean, I I I wish I could understand it, but you know, we all have our things. Um, <clears throat> I also, I'm also going to shout out, I don't feel like we, we never really made Queer Eye a part of our year-end discussion, um, in part because I feel like the second batch of episodes wasn't maybe as strong as the first batch. I think there were some weaker, weaker episodes, but I, I think the fact that Queer Eye came back and came back in such a strong way and really brought a lot of people happiness, not just on screen, but, you know, watching it, it was like really it was really something nice to see that kind of positivity so centered in a tv show and i think you know watching queer eye made me feel better about the world and that isn't something you can say about a lot of tv we watched in 2018 uh liz really quick before i forget queer eye was is on netflix obviously but legends of tomorrow you've talked a bit about how good the cws streaming platform is but like how do people watch it um the thing with well the thing with legends is uh it's i've i've I'm not going to say, by the way, the actual player is all that great, uh, but the, mm. the digital strategy is very good. Right. Um, so with Legends of Tomorrow, if you're just trying to catch up now, unfortunately your situation is a little screwed. Um, basically, as soon as every season is done, um, it is available on Netflix. So the first three seasons are streaming now. Um, and trust me, like the end of season three is magnificent. And season four has also been really great in that same vein. Um, it is the last five episodes to air um, are are available now on the CW on CWTV.com. Um, the and then they've they've aired I believe eight this season so far. So that means that the first three are kind of lost to digital space and time. But as soon as the season does complete, uh, it will be it will be available on Netflix and you can catch up there. So. That is the answer to your question. We did it. We did. We did a thing. Um, so, I feel like I mean, well, we can sneak in some in more stuff if we think of it. But I think it's time to kind of wrap things up. And so that means, Steve, what was the best thing you watched last week? Uh, best thing I watched last week. Uh, I'm going to warn you that both of these. I'm going to cheat and just include all the stuff that I didn't get to talk about just now. Yeah. Uh, it, including uh, the best thing I watched last week as we were preparing for our end of the year lists. I rewatched three episodes of TV from the year that uh, brought me so much joy, and and I really look forward to revisiting them for years to come. Uh, one of them is uh, an episode of the Dearly Departed Detroiters. Uh, the Mort Krim episode is the funniest thing that was on TV this year. Uh, the the scene of him shooting the commercial in the furniture store, uh, nothing will top that of anything that I will ever see for the rest of the year. Uh, Lovesick is a show on Netflix that I think got uh, a, a little bit um, it, it, it its positioning in the year was a little unfortunate because it did come out on January 1st so I think a lot of people forgot that it came out this year and, and wasn't eligible for last year's list either uh, the show formerly known as Scrotal Recall uh, wow. on, on Netflix is uh, I, I think a lot of people talk about sort of the death of the rom-com and about how uh, how it's a genre that's kind of flailing. I would put that up against any other uh, examples that uh, that there aren't good rom-coms anymore. Uh, it, it's it's really sweet. It's really charming. Uh, the the writing is in a a very recognizable rom-com pocket. That that if people like those movies, it's done with a little bit more. Um, 
a little more complexity than you usually see from shows like that. So I I love Love Sick, uh, and season three was really uh, was was a really good season and hinged on an episode that's been building. It's been building to a moment for a really long time, and the aftermath of that moment is is one of the truer romantic things that I've seen on TV in a really long time. Uh, and then also, uh, Joe Parra Talks With You uh, is an Adult Swim show uh, that I really enjoyed. Uh, it's kind of hard to describe because it's it's a very experiential thing, um, but I've seen a lot of uh, sites uh, single out the episode, Joe Parra Reads the Church Announcements. Uh, if you've read anything about that, it is as... Uh, glorious and delightful as it has been described to you, uh, I will say no more. Uh, I believe you can find that on the Adult Swim website. Good. Cool. Uh, Okay. So, Ben, what was the best thing you watched last week? Uh, Well, I'm going to cheat a little bit, too, because um, in terms of of how much or, or how we divide our time, I'd say I watch, you know, the most television by far. And then I watch uh, a lot of movies. And then maybe I go to a couple of live shows, but I don't do that very well. And then, so probably the third thing in terms of like entertainment that I consume are books. And not as many as I wanted to, but I thought I would use a couple of, of best picks for the last year uh, to encourage people to read every once in a while. Um, as, and they are tied into TV shows in one way or another as well, because I think everything that I do is probably somehow tied to it because it's overwhelms my cultural world. Ben, my catchphrase is not keep reading books. <laughs> I know, but, you know, it's impossible for me to do that anyway, so I couldn't listen to you if that was your catchphrase. I just need to sneak in a couple for the, for the Fine. like, four what that I read. Talk about the demon books. Demon. Oh, um, so uh, first and foremost, I really think that Tom Prada's Mrs. Fletcher is going to make a tremendous HBO show and not simply because Katherine Hahn is the star. Like, I mean, that is definitely <laughs> enough yeah. right there. Uh, but um, it's, a, it's a really great examination of a mother-son relationship and also their kind of um, independent lives as the son goes off to college and the mother is left at home and kind of uh, where their obsessions lead them. Uh, there's a lot of kind of discussion about, you know, the internet and how that affects your romantic lives. But um, it's a really, they're really strong characters and Parada always writes really strong characters. Um, and the Massachusetts setting is only going to make it better, uh, assuming I get to hear Catherine Hahn do a Boston accent, uh, or at least, you know, Northern Massachusetts accent. Uh, and then second, I would I would definitely encourage people to pick up a copy of Coyote Dog Girl this holiday season by Lisa Hanawalt. Uh, Lisa Hanawalt is the lead designer on BoJack Horseman. Um, her artwork is stunning, and her stories are incredibly charming and insightful. Like the the way that this book kind of deconstructs the Western mythos uh, out there is is both hilarious and kind of heartbreaking at the same time. Like that sounds like a very cliched uh, evaluation of something, but uh, it's a relatively quick read. Uh, Make sure you take the time to appreciate the artwork that she's put into it, which is great. Um, But like the turns of the story and kind of the the simple goals of the character, uh, as well as what makes her happy and sad are just, I mean, they speak to a lot of things that aren't often acknowledged in these type of books. And uh, it really resonated with me. It was, it was, a, a very powerful, quick thing. Um, so that's something that I would very much encourage people to check out. Uh, Liz, assuming you watched something and want to talk about what you watched, what was the best thing you watched last week? It's something I actually watched last week. Um, I, As I teased, I think, at the end of last week's podcast, I was about to head off to watch the DC Elseworld. It's a DC Elseworlds uh, three-part crossover event, uh, which was... I wouldn't give it like an A plus rating, but I did really enjoy it. And I think uh, the thing that the best quality of those crossovers is that, you know, for for a franchise which can which has a bad habit of occasionally taking itself too seriously, uh, they had a lot of fun with uh, playing with the alternate universes they were creating. Um, adding in lots of Easter eggs for comic book fans. And uh, I mean, there are two moments that really stand out that I'll just go ahead and spoil. One was something I very deliberately made sure how Steve watched, which was um, the first episode included a massive uh, homage to Smallville. Um, it literally, uh, they literally, they the two characters go to Smallville, go, go to the, go to Smallville. And it, they played Remy's Zero, Save Me. 
uh, and it's just such a triumphant <laughs> blast of music. Somebody save me. Um, anyways, uh, so That's doing nothing for Ben. <laughs> <laughs> I did not watch Smallville, you guys. Oh, then you I clearly am missed out. I know, Steve. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Yeah, that show didn't go off the rails. Uh, but the the other thing that the other really delightful moment is every every one of those shows opens with a, you know, kind of a prologue that is just basically like, yeah, here's what the show is. And so like, uh, like, my name is The Flash and I can run really fast and I solve crimes as well and blah, blah, blah. Um, and uh, so for the the second part of the the second part of the three parter, was um was air was the air was the arrow episode and part of the premise involved uh oliver queen and oliver queen and barry allen have accidentally switched bodies or not accidentally they've yeah and so the opening of the arrow episode they re they basically redid the whole thing but with the actor who plays barry allen playing playing that character so they like re-edited all the re-edited the montage they cgi'd his face into uh, CGI'd his face into places where Oliver Queen's face might normally have been. It was very funny and very much like just very much for the fans. So that was the best thing I watched. I was really happy. And also back, Batwoman as played by Ruby Rose was great. And I really hope that series goes because uh, she will make a really good, really good superhero. And it'd be really great to see her star in a TV show. I hope they redo the costume if it gets its own show. You're not a fan of the hot pink? The pink was fine. The um, the kind of cut of the suit seemed wonky. She made it work, but I can I I, I feel like honestly my biggest thing is like I don't feel like the wig is a great idea. Mm. Um, like I can I conceptually understand it, but it I think it's it reminds me of how like it's like Ruby Rose already has such a good functional haircut. Why would you make your hair more complicated to be a superhero? Like that just doesn't make any sense. And I guess it's because, like, if she if she just had like your standard Batman cowl, like she would just look like Batman, and so that's why they didn't want to make her bat. They they wanted to make sure you were clear she was a woman, but you know whatevs. Steve, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Uh, since since there won't be any more episodes of the show until 2019, uh, I don't know if you guys are going to mention 2019 shows. Uh, Instead, I will say that I am looking forward to catching up on a lot of things that I have not had time to do uh, so far in the year. Mm-hmm. And number one on that list is watching the rest of this season of Mystery Science Theater 3000, Yay! which is a uh, which I feel is another show that kind of has been overlooked at the year's end because because it got released on a holiday, and I feel like a lot of people had kind of already shored up their lists by then. It's also it also fits into a weird box in terms of uh, genre. Like yeah. it's a little hard to it's a little hard to evaluate on the same level as like homecoming exactly exactly um uh there's i've said before i'll say it again there's a joke in the first episode uh the the, in the mac and me episode from this season that i am flabbergasted was ever on a tv show and it tickled me to no end and i'm so happy the show exists and is as good as it is um and then uh as ben graciously brought up uh, earlier, uh, we did publish a list of the 50 best podcast episodes of 2018. Um, as, as much as I would uh, like to say otherwise, uh, there is no way that I could have listened to every episode of all of those 50 shows. Uh, so I am looking forward to, with the rest of the year, going back and catching up and listening to some back episodes of those particular shows that I haven't had a chance to to complete all the way through. Um, uh, so, so yeah, it, it's it's... I'm looking forward to getting to spend a little more time in each of those worlds with those people. So I'm 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 excited for that. Yay. Steve, who listened to maybe tens of thousands of podcasts this year, <laughs> uh, is looking forward to more time with them because that is true love, people. Yeah. It's pure. Uh, my my next thing picks are also books. Um, they are both books that I haven't read, and both books that are tied to TV shows that are coming soon okay um so that's you know exciting and they're both friends of the podcast which is also exciting so uh first and foremost i am very excited to read abby jacobson's i might regret this which Mm. is a collection of essays and other kind of um it sounds like writing that she did it sounds like that goes it goes to some really kind of almost too dark places so yeah i mean she's she's somebody who is um 
you know, she's had podcasts and um, other books and, and other, you know, obviously she started as, you know, creating web series and, and she's done a lot of different, um, her art has been expressed in a lot of different formats. So uh, the idea that she would, she would use a collection of essays, which can be a lot of different topics to go to some of those places is, uh, is very exciting for me, especially after, you know, most people, like most people, uh, I got to know her through Broad City. So getting to know her as Abby on Broad City versus... Uh, you know, an author uh, is is an exciting idea. And, um, you know, the similar goes to, you know, very much future friend, future guest of the podcast, uh, David Duchovny's book, Miss Subways. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, nice try. Uh, nice try, Benjamin. Nice try, Benjamin. Not only has, uh, has Mr. Duchovny earned praise from the New York Times uh, uh, book review as well as uh, plenty of other publications and, and, and respected authors uh, for his past work, including Bucky Fucking Dent and uh, Holy Cow, but Miss um, Subways has is, is gotten a great reception so far, and it, honest to God, has one of the best uh, jacket and cover designs that I've ever seen, and I've spent a, for as as little reading as I do compared to how much re- reading I want to do. I've spent an, an absurd amount of time in bookstores looking at books, uh, so like I, I really, really love just holding that book in my hands. I think that's very, you know, it's it's aesthetically gorgeous. So I'm looking to actually digging through the content and enjoying more uh, of Mr. Duchovny's artistic expressions. And is there? Uh... Is there, is there is is there a Watchmen series coming next year? Maybe, maybe there's a Watchmen series coming next okay. year. Okay, I, 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 I don't know. I, maybe I, I have the expanded collection uh, in order to <laughs> dig as far, far into it as humanly possible, uh, and maybe that's kind of worth you know looking forward to as well. But uh, I think we'll have plenty of time to talk about that in the new year. So, uh, Liz. To get us away from those demon books, as you uh, so lovingly referred to them, uh, oh, what I was miss the books? I really do. What is the next thing you're looking forward to watching? Well, I'm keeping this relevant to just like my next week, and um, as often as oftentimes I use this slot as a reminder that I need to be watching this. Um, the Timeless series finale airs mm. as you listen to this in a few days, and. Uh, I am on the hook for reviewing it, and that probably should mean I I should catch up with the series, uh, which I like a lot. It's the only reason I, I it just was one of those ones that kept dropping off my radar for whatever reason. But I enjoy that cast. Uh, I enjoy me some tra- time travel conspiracy hijinks, and uh, I'm hopeful that the my my interest in these things will be well delivered upon. I mean, Abigail won't let you down. We know that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I like uh, Malcolm Barrett is a really fun addition. Yeah. Patterson Joseph of The Leftovers. Wait, Patterson Joseph's in this? Yeah, he plays like the leader of like the, uh, he plays the he plays the guy who like bank, he's like the Elon Musk who bankrolls uh, the time travel operation. <gasps> Number Wang veteran himself, Patterson yeah. Joseph. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, you'll be able to read about that and other things on IndieWire.com where you'll find news, reviews, interviews, features, all the stuff you like. And make sure to listen to IndieWire's uh, plethora of other podcasts, including uh, the Turn It On podcast with Michael Schneider, which has a very special episode coming up uh, with <sighs> Natalie Morales, uh, where she's going to be talking about her uh, her time on Room 104 as both a director and a performer, separate episodes. Uh, Room 104, another one of those Friday night shows that Steve mentioned. Um, but she's also going to be talking about another HBO show uh, as her favorite episode of all time, and that's, you know, pretty exciting unto itself. So make sure you don't miss that. Uh, there's also, of course, the one that started it all, Screen Talk with Eric Cohn and Ann Thompson. And finally, uh, last and the opposite of least, Chris O'Fault's Filmmaker Toolkit podcast is a must-listen, especially around the holidays when all you want to do is bask in the warmth and joy of goodness. And Chris is the source of our universe's good and joy. So check it out, guys. Again, thanks, Steve. And you can follow Steve on Twitter at Steve Bruin. Go Bruins. Go UCLA. Uh, and you can also find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. And make sure to find Liz on Twitter at Lizlet. That's with an I and an E. Steve, I'll be going to watch your alma mater this, uh, this Saturday, uh, but I'll be rooting against them. Go Belmont. <laughs> um, <laughs> great. Great. Glad we did that. Um, So thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Hopefully you're looking forward to a very happy holiday season or at least a 
relatively cool and quiet and calm and sane and peaceful uh, holiday season. Hopefully your holidays are going to be pretty good. Super cold holiday season. Or, you know, maybe you're maybe that's not your thing. People, Blanketed in snow, people, frozen indoors. People are different. Power goes out. <laughs> light the candles. Freeze to death. Borderline. Like relive some of the darkest moments of the terror. That's the best. Nothing way to spend says your the holidays like reliving the bleakest moments of the terror. Oh my god! Um, That'd be great. Thank you guys again. But then, thank you for listening all year long. Hopefully, looking forward to a brand new year uh, when we return. Uh, that's right. We will be back in 2019. And in the meantime, you guys keep watching television. 